this is Nikki Sharp with Wildlife SOS. Today, I'm sitting down with Mahima to discuss her role at Wildlife SOS. So Mahima, a lot of people spend many years searching for what it is they would like to do with their life, but that hasn't been the case with you. As I understand it, you have wanted to work with Wildlife SOS since you were a child. I was very young uh, when I knew where my passion lies, where my interest lies. I think I was um, only two or three years old uh, when my father gifted me an elaborate photo book. Uh, it was one of my most prized possessions as a child because every night before going to bed, I would sit and I would read through each and every page of that book. It didn't have much text, but it had a lot of beautiful pictures of animals in the wild. So somewhere that strengthened my interest in knowing about animals, in, in uh, wanting to work with animals and wanting to be there for them when they were in pain or even witness them in their true natural habitat. I thought that everything I was doing was somewhere creating an impact. So I found myself inclined towards every little animal that I spotted, whether it was an injured cow, a dehydrated squirrel, uh, a pig that was bleeding from the nose, every little thing uh, I would just give my entire heart to make sure that this particular animal that has found its way in front of my eyes will be relieved of their pain in any way. And I was in school actually um, when I learned about the work that Wildlife SOS does. It was uh, following every little thing on social media. It was uh, the elephant rescues that happened in 2015 with Susie's and then the leopard uh, cub and mother reunions and the leopard rescues from the well in Maharashtra. Everything uh, that the organization did, I found myself dedicatedly following. And before I knew it, I started making decisions at a personal level as well as professional level to kind of chart my way more clearer to work for Wildlife SOS. So Mahima, when you were at the stage that you're ready to go to school and actually start pursuing a career, I understand that you went and you studied uh, wildlife crime and forensics. That's kind of different. Uh, what are the type of classes you take in pursuing this type of degree? I did my uh, graduation in political science and went on to pursue my post-graduation in criminology, an institute that falls under the Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, Government of India. And to further fuel my passion and feed my interest, I enrolled myself in a post-graduation diploma um, of wildlife forensics. My classes mainly included um, being familiar with the law of land, um, which is the Wildlife Protection Act, and uh, studying about the basics of DNA fingerprinting, um, illegal wildlife trade and trafficking, uh, wildlife crime scene investigation. I just really enjoyed my classes. So my decisions and the fact that I chose wildlife forensics and criminology strengthened my choices in this career further. So my interest took me to the northeast and I was I did my dissertation understanding the causes of poaching in uh, Kaziranga National Park in Assam where I interacted with the forest officials the forest guards and the local communities that resided there and how their constant interaction with wildlife 
is also a very important aspect that has to be considered when we're talking about conservation. So when I came back, um, I was ready with my 100-page dissertation and I submitted it and my institute graciously accepted it. And I feel a lot of happiness when I say this, but uh, I scored the highest marks from my entire batch. So Mahima, just uh, give me a few, um, I don't know, summarizing points of your thesis in terms of the links that you were able to make with poaching and the communities. The most important points that I learned were that um, borders of Assam are very porous. So the poachers that enter from Myanmar uh, enter the national park from these porous borders that don't have tight security and end up uh, mainly committing the crime of poaching of the one-horned rhino at night hours. So there was stricter need of night patrolling uh, there has to be a proper physical security aspect that has to be considered in terms of boundary. And particularly with local communities, it's very important for them to understand that they play an inseparable role in conservation. These are the people who interact with wildlife each day. If they become protectors and they change their attitude and their perceptions to to, to playing an important role in conservation, they can actually, they can change the entire game. But the local communities perceive wildlife as intruders because they enter, they, they have incidents of wild elephants entering and foraging through their tea gardens. And Assam is very famous for tea. So their constant interaction and further conflict with the wild is what makes them fear the wild. And changes their perception into a very negative one. So that's what I learned, that ground-breaking things have to be done on the field for this perception to change. So you were finding that the local people in Assam were not really enthusiastically embracing some of the uh, efforts being made to conserve the elephants and the rhinos in this park. Is that one of the things that you're just telling us now? Right. Um, they are enthusiastic, of course. Uh, they're enthusiastic to the part where the wild animals remain in their territory. But uh, the moment that they enter their personal space and they forage through tea gardens, their perception really changes because these tea gardens feed families at once when the tea is sold. So, of course, they're not defensive overtly. But they would rather, I, I feel like they really need to be educated furthermore on their important role as conservationists. So Mahima, you finally land this job that you've been thinking about since the time you were a child to be the elephant campaign manager for Wildlife SOS. And you got this job in October of 2019. And very soon after that, I think it was in November, you were called to go help with the rescue of an elephant named Bella. So what I want you to do is to, um, first of all, give us an idea of who this elephant Bella was and just about what you experienced when you first showed up for this rescue. So Bella was a 60-year-old elephant and she was located... Um, eastern part of Uttar Pradesh uh, in a village called Sitapur. 
Bella was used as a begging elephant um, during the day. Uh, her tireless routine would include her walking on unnatural stone surfaces of the village for the sake of begging. And when she was not begging, uh, she would be used as a, as a processional elephant. So she would walk around with heavy adornments and uh, would be used for temple ceremonies and uh, and, all, and, and wedding ceremonies. So Bella's entire life was of extreme exhaustion, to put, it, to put it in one word. She was exhausted by the time that she turned 60 years old. And that meant she had already lived most part of her life in, in chains, in, at, the, at the blow of a, of a bullhook, and constantly walking on stone surfaces that weren't natural to her legs. So her, by the time that we got to her, by the time her condition was notified to us, she was already physically, she was beyond gone. And the least that we could do was to make sure that her end days were comfortable with us. So Mahima, this is uh, your first rescue. You're showing up and you're seeing this elephant that has been basically abused for decades, for over half a century. I mean, what is going through your your head? I mean, what are you personally thinking as you show up and you're up close to this elephant who needs help? Bella's rescue was very close to my heart, not only in terms of the fact that it was my first rescue, but also because it was the first time that I was face-to-face with the reality of elephant abuse in the country and how being used as begging elephants or, or just as joyrides or, or if nothing, then just to make them stand at a corner of a, of, of, of a, of a concrete structure and, and live out their lives. So Bella's rescue was definitely my first reality check, so to speak. This was the first time that I was face-to-face with an elephant who was physically, psychologically, and completely broken. Okay, so when you showed up to rescue Bella Mahima, the team had already been there for a few days, and they were having a hard time getting her on the truck. Can you just walk us through what was happening at those moments? I remember the first unit that reached Bella had one of our vets, Dr. Pramod, and we had sent him on location to make sure that Bella's stable, uh, Bella's condition is stabilized to a point where she can handle the long 400 kilometer journey from uh, Sitapur to the elephant hospital in Mathura. So our, uh, so Dr. Pramod was uh, rendering pain management, glucose, and she, because she was unable to stand due to her severely arthritic limbs, we had created a support structure for her support so that she could stand without giving too much stress on her limbs. I remember I left from Delhi at around 4 a.m. in the morning to reach the Elephant Conservation Care Center at 7 a.m., and to prepare the ambulance with the team and uh, and a vet so that we could dispatch this, so that we could be the second unit that reaches Bella's location and assist the first unit accordingly. So it's very important for the elephant ambulance to be properly uh, equipped so as to uh, make sure that the journey that the elephant takes is a comfortable and a safe one. 
So the elephant ambulance was loaded with sugar canes, fodder, uh, uh, water, medical kits, um, medical hoists, and a blanket because it was the first week of November and a subtle chill starts settling in um, after the sun sets and in the early hours of the morning. So an elephant jacket and blanket were both packed for, for Bella. And we left uh, the sanctuary at around, uh, say, 9 a.m. or so. And we reached Bella's location after 10 hours. And when we reached the location, what I saw was a swarm of villagers just completely surrounding Bella, but very patiently waiting. They were not an angry mob. They were just very curious as to what is happening. And when the ambulance docked, I just rushed to Bella's side and she was standing in a corner against a support structure. Dr. Pramod was standing next to her. And I saw that this elephant looked completely normal to one side, but her right side looked like a war zone. She was covered in bed sores and uh, she had septic ulcers. She had grave deep wounds and Despite that, she was just calmly standing at a corner. She was not aggressive. She was very calm and patient, and she would let the vets do everything that they could to minimize her pain. Our team immediately got to work. Uh, Dr. Ilya Raja accompanied us on this rescue, and Dr. Pramod was already there. I had the company of two very learned vets who were doing everything that they could to manage her pain. And that's when her first attempt at rescue started in the evening. So when the crane and the medical, medical hoist was used to lift Bella up, as soon as her feet touched the ambulance ramp, her entire body tilted to one side and we, she was at complete risk of a fall. So we had to abandon the first attempt at rescue and we made a mud bed for her. We, we, we decided to let her rest for the night. The next morning at 5 a.m., her, her, her second attempt at rescue resumed. And uh, this time she had a good night's sleep. The pain management had kicked into a point where she could sustain standing on her own legs and gradually walking into the, into the elephant ambulance. So the moment she entered ambulance, we just rejoiced. And uh, we secured her with the belt so that uh, she's prepared for the jerky and jolty uh, ride ahead. And that's when we started, that's when her healing journey started with Wildlife SOS. So one thing I'm not sure that people understand is, you know, trying to get an elephant taken from one end of the country to the other, how dangerous that can be because you're transporting an animal that weighs thousands of thousands of pounds. So tell us just a little bit like some of the concerns that are being considered when you're transporting these elephants cross country to try to get them to safety. Important think about uh and transporting an elephant from one part of the country to another is making sure that at every point the elephant is at complete comfort. When the elephant is at complete comfort, it's an easy journey. The moment the elephant gets agitated, even in pain or in, in uncertainty, it'll be about 4,000 kilos of, of an animal just swaying the entire ambulance. That's a very big risk 
not only for the elephant, but also for us who are traveling inside the ambulance and even for those, uh, for the escort vehicles that are around the ambulance at that time. So the biggest challenge is to make sure that at any point the elephant is not uncomfortable, that they're not in pain, that they're not uh, stressed. So, which is why we have our team of mahouts and vets constantly attending to the elephant. And that was the case with Bella. We had uh, four mahouts at that point in the ambulance next to Bella, constantly checking on her. And I was constantly asking them if she's doing okay, if they can see any visible signs of stress, if she's getting agitated, if she's feeling cold also. And our vets had constantly administered pain management so that she could stand in during this entire journey. It was a very long journey. It took us about 12 hours from Bella's location to the elephant hospital. So because when the elephant is loaded onto the ambulance, the speed has to be consistent. So that's what takes up most of the time when the elephant is in the ambulance being transported from one part of the country to reach our sanctuary or the hospital. Okay, Mahima, so you get Bella back to the elephant sanctuary and she is unloaded from the truck. So take us through what happened after she arrived. I mean, what was, what was the time of day? Just take us through some of the basics of what that arrival was like. By the time we reached the elephant hospital in Mathura, uh, it was around 11 p.m. at night. So it was completely dark and we thought all the elephants would be resting. So this was a good time to bring in a new guest for them. And the ambulance was parked in a very strategic way and a mud ramp was created in continuation of the ambulance ramp so that the incline is such that Bella can quietly and gently walk down and take her first steps to freedom. But uh, as soon as the ambulance ramp went down, um, almost as though sensing the arrival of the new elephant, coconut and peanut in the nearby enclosure started loudly trumpeting, almost as though picking up uh, the new smell of Bella. And uh, Bella being the shy, calm, absolutely gentle elephant that she is, she refused to step out of the ambulance. She just kept stepping back. And by the time Coconut and Peanut were trumpeting, I saw Raju and Raju was also lifting his trunk. So it was, it was actually a very warm welcome for Bella, but Bella just could not understand what was happening around her. After a lot of coaxing and luring her with the sugar canes and apples, which were her favorite, uh, we managed to get her down from the, uh, from the elephant ambulance and she took small steps into her enclosure. Uh, her enclosure was equipped with really high mud beds uh, so that she could lean on them and rest when uh, her legs would feel tired. But despite that, um, I was with Bella in the first three days that uh, after her rescue. And clearly remember, Bella would just be calmly and quietly walking around her enclosure, just you know, occasionally lifting her foot and just understanding what this natural substance is, why her legs feel so relaxed. And uh, she was unfortunately a very picky eater. I think every time that I remember Bella, I will always remember Bella as being someone who was so weak when she came to the elephant hospital. 
but was very particular about her tastes. She loved apples completely. And there was one particular incident, in fact, where uh, the vets had managed to sneak in um, a medicine in the apples, very strategically hiding the medicine in the apple. And she was so clever. The moment she sensed this new smell of, of what didn't smell like an apple that she would usually eat, she flung it across full force. So that kind of shows that even though her body was battered and exhausted, she still had that, that's, that willpower, that strength in her to survive. And that's what I think I will always fondly remember when I think of Bella, is that she had a lot of strength. Mahima, you were describing Bella getting off the truck, and there are two things that you stated that I thought were pretty remarkable. One was that the other elephants were trumpeting, they were excited, they were welcoming her, but she was nervous. Now, can you explain why she was nervous? Uh, Had she been around other elephants before, or was she unfamiliar with elephants? In my knowledge, uh, Bella had no interaction with any elephants before, which is precisely why she was extremely nervous and very anxious when she heard these new sounds. She couldn't understand what these rumbles were, what these trumpets were, why they were lifting their trunk. So I don't think she had any interaction with any other elephant. Even if she did, it would have been just another elephant that would have been used for begging in maybe the same area. But we had no such knowledge when we had gone for her rescue. Is precisely why she grew very nervous and very anxious when she heard all these rumbles and trumpets. So even though our resident elephants were welcoming her, she just was a little baffled at particular um, phase had in store for her. The other thing, Mahima, you were mentioning was that when she got off the truck, she stepped onto the soil of the elephant sanctuary as a free elephant. I know from watching those, and I've never actually been at the facility when an elephant arrives, it's still a very powerful moment to watch it on video to see those first steps of freedom for an elephant. How was it for you watching Bella arrive and actually step off without any chains on her feet and arrive and know that she she made it, she survived, and she was now a free elephant? It was an absolutely enthralling moment. I remember I jumped off the elephant ambulance and I was standing right next to uh, the ambulance's ramp when she was stepping down. And I was just, I had my fingers crossed and I was praying that now that this journey has started for her in her new healing life, I just hope everything goes for well, goes well for her. So as an individual, it's, it's a very powerful moment because this was the elephant that was quietly standing in a corner surrounded with a crowd of people. And this elephant is now with her own kind. She has another chance at life. She's just quietly, calmly taking in the surroundings. And like I mentioned before, she spent, I think, that entire night just understanding where it is that she is. So I think watching her walk to her enclosure was, it was a very emotional moment, definitely. 
Mahima, with Bella, she arrived at the facility. You spent a few days with her and then you left. And what happened after you left? When I left the facility to come back to Delhi, uh, I was back at the headquarters office and I would call the Mahouts and the vets every day, twice a day, and my colleagues there on field. And I would just constantly be checking on her to see if she's okay, what she's doing. And I would be getting updates and further relaying it to Kartik sir, Gita ma'am, and to you. So um, it was it was that even though I wasn't there, uh, physically, in spirit, I was there constantly. And it was within 10 days that uh, we got to know that one afternoon she collapsed and she's not getting up. So I think even in that moment, I was positive that she would make it. But uh, when she collapsed and she could not get up again, um, everybody was prepared for what the next few steps were going to be, but I was still very hopeful. I was very, very confident. I said, come on. I was telling myself, I was praying. I said, come on, Bella, you've pulled it through this far. You can, you can make it through a little more. So I remember uh, it was on 14th of November that uh, she passed away. And I was completely heartbroken. I just, um, I could not understand what was happening. When I left her, I had genuinely left with a lot of hope that uh, she would make it. But uh, I think her body was far more exhausted and battered to hold the true spirit of strength that she had in her. So as I say, I don't think she passed away. I think her soul just transcended to newer places, to fresher feels and, you know, to be reunited with her family that she must have lost at a very young age when she was separated from her herd. So Mahima, you were there with her when she had those first steps of freedom. And you were actually the one who wrote her tribute and her memorial after she passed away. And I know that was a very difficult thing for you to do. Uh, One of the things you did say in your tribute to her was, and I quote from you, somewhere you take a huge piece of my heart with you, Bella, and I don't really need it back because you will be the strength and inspiration behind everything that I do for the welfare of the wild. Uh, So my question to you, Mahima, is um, even though I know you've always wanted to work for Wildlife SOS from the time you were a child, I have to ask if your experience with Bella had an additional impact on what you see in your calling in life. So uh, definitely it creates an additional impact. It inspires you when you go through an experience like this. Uh, Bella's rescue was special to my heart, not only because this was my first rescue, but also this was the first time that I saw the physical and psychological wounds that an elephant that has been used for begging around the streets undergoes. So till the very last moment, I think Bella's sheer strength and willpower is what made her stand through this lifetime of abuse. And uh, even today that I think about her, I always think about her as the elephant who was strong, who was calm, who was very gentle. 
even though humans had not been kind to her she was kind to us in every moment and in moments that i do feel weak uh, thinking about her i tell myself that every time that i go to work i am doing everything i can to make a better future for the elephants of the country mahima for people who would like to know more about bella or see photos of her where should they go If people want to know more about Bella they can visit our website www.wildlifesos.org and learn more about Bella's rescue story and the first few days that she spent recuperating with us at the Wildlife SOS Elephant Hospital in Mathura. Okay Mahima thank you so much for your time with us today. We've learned so much about Bella's rescue and she was a special elephant and we all loved her. Thank you Nikki. If you would like to learn more about Wildlife SOS or give to support the research, rescue and long-term care of the elephants, bears, leopards and other wildlife at our sanctuaries, please visit wildlifesos.org. We hope our new podcast series helps brighten your day and warm your heart with the tremendous impact we can make together. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.